This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 130 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we discuss the middle third of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Return of the King. <clears throat> oh, that was a little weird. Uh, maybe a little uh, late to the party April Fool's magic there. Yeah, I think there was like a helium leak in here or something. I <laughs> voice went a little high for a minute there. Here we are in April. We've made it through March. Uh, actually, today it's the final day of March. We're recording this, but we've made it, and um, hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully, April looks a little better in the world. Um, all signs point to no, um, but but here we are. Yeah, it's been rough, but uh, we're all trucking along. Hopefully, yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, better than last week. Uh, not. I wouldn't say I'm all the way back to normal, but better than last week for sure. That's good. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and we talked a little bit last week about how we thought you might have been uh, exposed and maybe maybe even had uh, the coronavirus, um, and your symptoms were pretty mild. Um, I do want to make it clear that like we know that that is not the case for everybody. Right. Well, my girlfriend's an example of somebody who we almost went to the ER because she was having difficulty breathing, so. Yeah. Um, and even that, it, it can get much worse, clearly. Yeah, definitely. And just to, uh, I guess, kind of check back in on that, there were... Her company has contacted her and confirmed that there were 27 cases of confirmed positive coronavirus people that were staying at her hotel during the time Jeez. that she was working. So there's a really high likelihood that that's exactly what we, we ended up with. But, um, you know, we didn't have there were no tests to take, so we can't confirm it. Yeah, the testing's still a problem, regardless of what uh, what I might see in certain press circles. Um, it seems it seems clear that there are not enough tests, but. Hopefully that's something that's being worked on. Um, today we're going to be talking about the middle section of The Return of the King, which has quite a lot of big moments in it, honestly. Um, it feels like almost the rest of it, but I know there is a good bit of wrapping up. And then also I've heard about The Scouring of the Shire, although I've never actually read it. Um, so I know that that's something that I'm going to be getting in this third chunk here next week as we ra actually wrap this book up. Um, but this middle section just has a lot of really memorable moments and, and stuff I've been looking forward to, honestly, since we started The Lord of the Rings. Like, this is big moments this, in this Well, chunk. like, the I would say that the, the main climax of the story finishes in the second part yeah. of, of Return of the King. Um, I think across multiple fronts, kind of. There's only one really lingering thing and then some wrap-up to do for the third part, and we're also going to be doing some appendices as well, um, just to kind of have the context and maybe talk about it as well for part three. Yeah. Uh, so stay tuned for that stuff. Oh, hey, I wanted to give a quick uh, update. We weren't able to get a Patreon episode out this week uh, or this month for our patrons uh, bonus episode, but we are planning to do two instead in April. And we decided what they're, what they're going to be. We're going to do the film Tolkien that came out a little while ago. That's like a biopic about J.R.L. Tolkien. We'll do that one first, I think, earlier on in April. 
And then later on in April, we're going to release a episode on the animated Return of the King uh, feature from, I think, the 70s or 80s. Not really sure when it came out. Go back and watch that. Uh, maybe we'll even watch that right before we watch uh, Peter Jackson's film. Not sure. Maybe after. I don't know. Depend. Probably depends on our schedule. I think after would make more sense. But yeah, I guess it just depends on how the month shakes out. Um, yeah, but I'm excited this whole month of Tolkien that we have coming up. And yeah, and like we, we have one more book episode and then the film episode. Um, and I just can't wait to just dig into all the appendices and start doing all the research for for that third movie and just like kind of put this put the cap on our our coverage here it's gonna be really be bittersweet but it's i'm so happy to be back in tolkien yeah and well Earth. we were, we were talking a lot about uh just sort of i mean we're gonna get into it when we get and watch this biopic which um i've seen by the way i watched it on a plane and i'm excited to watch it again in in uh better uh circumstances you know on a better tv um and i was thinking a lot about tolkien's background and how he fought in World War One. We've talked about, um, literally lost two of his best friends at the, I think, the Battle of the Somme. Um, I might be inaccurate about when exactly, but d- during the war. Um, and I think I that was really present in my mind as I was reading this this last section or this middle section here, um, especially a lot of the descriptions of Mordor um, and just the brutality of a lot of the battles. And I was thinking a lot about the trench warfare. And how just churned up and destroyed everything got, and just nasty too, because there's all these all these bodies, um, because it was too dangerous often to pull bodies out of the the the, the zone between trenches, right? Because it was it was too dangerous. No there's, man's there was land. always show, yeah, no man's land. So there's literally just bodies out there rotting for months and months and piling yeah. up. And then when you have to like advance, you're literally running over the corpses of your friends who have died out there in the middle because you can't stop and do anything about it. And, you know, you can't even bury them because it's getting shelled constantly and, like, literally corpses are getting churned out of the earth. So really dark stuff. And this is something that he lived through and he he fought in. Um, I, I don't know how long he spent on the front, but I know he did spend some time there. And to come out of that and to write this series... Um, which is ultimately very hopeful, right? About the sort of triumphing of good over evil. I don't know. I was just thinking a lot about that. To stay kind of, to have your compass still point north and like to still see like that there's good in the world after after going through something like that and really writing a story that, that represents that is, is pretty amazing. Um, there, was a, there was a moment in the reading that we were doing when they were kind of, when Sam and Frodo were kind of, sneaking by some some like locals to mordor there were like humans mm-hmm. and and some just some people in like little little i don't even know what the villages or something like that, that they were sneaking by or not even necessarily villages but just groups of people that were like yeah. living out there um and when they were kind of sneaking by and moving around i was just thinking of how like how it would have how it feels to be in like a foreign country for how it would have felt for someone like tolkien in a foreign country although you know i don't know where he fought in the war well, the psalm, the psalm, I believe, is in France. Yeah, just this idea of like, you know, there are people, there are people who like actually living in the country that wars are being fought in, and like just the way that that um, he, they just, they're just like outsiders, and and these people are are like a faceless enemy until until you see that there are like also civilians of this country, and there are, you know what I mean? There aren't just the soldiers, and so I know that these, I think these people weren't necessarily civilians in Mordor. They were kind of like working towards the war effort, like creating. Well, stuff. He definitely says that there are slaves. There are orcs that are orcs and goblins and 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 people even that are being sort of driven by these slave masters. 
mm-hmm. um, to fight the war and to to work in the war eth- effort, but they're not necessarily themselves like believers in the cause. Right. Um, which, yeah, is a little bit of complexity and sort of nuance to the situation that that uh, I hadn't really considered. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it stuck out to me because that you know it's kind of a scene that doesn't happen in the films either, where they're they're not running into villages of of orcs or people or anything yeah. really. They're no. running into for, you know forces like armies and things like that, but never like villages off the off the beaten path as they're trying to make their way. Um, so that that stuck out to me. Just thinking about you know what it represented to Tolkien, you know he doesn't he you know famously the the dislike for allegory, but as we've talked about in the last episode, what things represent to him, whether whether it was specifically about World War One or or not or two. I mean, because he 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 wrote this during. Well, yeah, I mean, he he wrote it for years. Like this is something he worked on for a really really long time. Right. And he fought in, in the First World War. But then during the Second World War, he was still working on this book. So I, I think it's clear to me that that affected him too. Um, I couldn't help but think of it. Um, you know, in some of the parts we're getting getting to here, I'll, I'll mention some of my specifics. But I kept making some comparisons and going, oh, this is kind of like this. And when this happened. And, um, and ultimately, you know, you could even look at the ring as sort of a... Um, stand in for like nuclear power if you wanted to right like like the ultimate power that is trying to be wielded by people who are good quote unquote but yet they can't because it corrupts them and it's too deadly a power that it cannot be wielded um so if you look at it literally it's like nuclear war as as that which was you know unleashed on the world in in world war ii um i don't know there's a lot there and I can see why you might be resistant to it because if you hear it too much as an author, you might think, you know, ultimately you're going to put my book in a in a box that I don't necessarily want it to be in, and say that this is all it is, um, which we've talked about. Um, but I I don't think that it's invalid in any way to look at it, recognize the time this guy lived in, the things he was encountering, and see that there are some examples where it was probably influenced by it. Right, at least reflections or your influences of how he was feeling as he was writing it there is there is somebody i want to dig into really quickly before we get into the the plot here um i wanted to know what you think that Gollum represents uh if we like extrapolate him out and maybe think of it as like something symbolic like is there is there something there for you because i was really trying to figure out like if there was some sort of connection between something else other than just the character in the book like if there's something that he represents within the story Oh, uh, that's an excellent question. Um, what does Gollum represent for Lord of the Rings? I think I'm going to table that for now. I'm going to think on that a little bit. Maybe if something comes to me while we're recording, you know, I'll I'll voice it. But otherwise, maybe we can revisit that next week um, okay. after I get some time to think on it. I honestly, that I think there is something there to him. It's not something I've given a lot of thought about. It's funny because I've I've thought about other symbolic meanings or other characters and other things mm-hmm. in the story. But um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I guess I'm not ready. Do you have a theory that you want to propose? Not really, because I, that, that's, I had been thinking on it and trying to figure out, you know, just like what other than, other than like showing, showing what the ring, what the corruption looks like and showing like what the ultimate extreme of, of like this sort of self, like only caring about the self and only, mm-hmm. you know, striving for whatever that one goal is um, and, you know, killing everyone else in your path and that kind of thing. And just having like that singular mind other than representing that to the story, I couldn't see any sort of like symbolic representation of like um, in alle- or at least an allegory to anything else. Right. 
Yeah, and like I'm, I agree. You can see the ways he's working in the story. You know, like he is sort of a foil for Frodo. He's sort of the opposite. He's someone who has been twisted by the ring beyond repair, and uh, has given into it in a way that that Frodo really doesn't. Um, and in some ways, he's sort of the weaker of the two. Like the version of Frodo, if he wasn't, if he didn't have the will, if he didn't have Sam's help. Things like that you you could see reflected. Also, just time um, spent more time being sort of twisted by it. But that's all more like on the character level and how it's operating within the story, like you said. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll think more about what he might mean metaphorically. If anybody has, uh, if anybody wants to weigh in before we record next week, if you're listening to this, you know the week it comes out, send us an email. What what does Gollum represent in sort of an allegorical way? Um, and any of them that I really like, I'll, I'll definitely touch on next week. Cool. All right. So if you are ready, I'm going to read some summary so we can get into some specifics. Um, last we let off, uh, we left off the Battle of Pelennor Fields had wrapped up and we are getting to chapter seven of book five, which is called the Pyre of Denethor. So we're going to be back with Denethor and sort of the armies. I know like in the reading we got to we got to Sam and Frodo, but we have to first revisit that part of the book and sort of put a put a cap on all of this. Um, and at the Pyre of Denethor chapter, Denethor goes mad and tries to burn Faramir alive, who he believes is dead. He is saved by Gandalf. Denethor then sets fire to himself, and they discover that Denethor has been using a palantir. So, yeah, a lot happens in this chapter. We see Pippin finally convince Gandalf to come and uh, address the situation with Denethor and, and Faramir. Once he convinces him, like, no, 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 he's going to kill Faramir. This is happening now, and, and if you don't do anything about it, it's going to be too late. One of the tragedies of it is that after the fact, Gandalf re- realizes that, like, we're seeing a king fall in order to, like, kind of stop a mad king. Like, so we're, we're stopping Denethor, and because of that, Gandalf has to leave the battlefield where he was confronting the Witch King. In that way, leaving Theoden to fight the witch king basically on his own you know with his army and everything the king that had fallen to sauron's influence like being the one that gandalf has to run to to stop him from doing something mad because like that's the failure of men whereas like the the righteous king who like had gone through the struggles of being somewhat controlled by sauron but overcome it um ends up you know dying because he confronts the this ultimate evil and he dies like a glorious, you know, righteous death. Whereas like Denethor is like a cow- talking about Theoden. Theoden, yeah. And, and yeah. whereas they, whereas Denethor is dying a coward's death with, unfortunately, drawing Gandalf's yeah. sort of power to him instead. Uh, I will say that Gandalf ascribes a lot of this to the Ring, um, and not to the Ring to 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 Sauron and the Ring. I guess all of it, right? Like he says, the Dark Lord is is his influence is felt even here, and it's it's influencing everything. And it it, it did make me laugh because I had this thought of like Gandalf going, someone saying like, "Oh, what's that smell?" And Gandalf saying, "The Dark Lord's influence gets us even here." <laughs> like he just <laughs> just constantly, no matter what happens, blames, it's like he blames everything on it. <laughs> Pippin Pippin's like running around. He like stubs his toe. He's like the yeah. Dark Lord again. The Dark Lord's influence has gotten has struck my toe. Yeah, no, it's funny. I I kept thinking like maybe Denethor is just insane and kind of a shithead, you know. But but Gandalf ascribes it all to to Sauron, which is, well, once I mean, we once we learn that like the the influence of the Palantirs is is there, then we know like it is Sauron's influence even more directly than we would have thought. 
Right. Yeah. No. And and but I mean, it's beyond that. I think it's like when he sees people who are despairing, he's like the dark one has made them despair. Like it's like <laughs> exactly. everything. But anyway, it, it just in this particular chapter, I thought it, it was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, clearly it does seem that the dark one has this sort of master, masterful power to affect people's morale and creep into people's minds and twist them and all that. You know, Sauron uh is definitely very powerful um so one of our favorite side characters baragond is in here sort of defending or fighting off the people who are trying to light the pyre or something like he's slowing this whole Mm -hmm. process down and he basically has saved faramir in the intervening time um he's even kills a few people who are who are in there trying to do denethor's bidding yeah and crazy enough uh Denethor, when, when Gandalf arrives, he's, Denethor says Faramir's already dead. He's basically saying he's already burned him. Um, and, you know, the argument goes on and on. And eventually Gandalf is like, fuck this. And he, like, uses some of his power and, like, yeah. jumps in and, like, grabs Faramir. And he's, like, really, he, like, uh, Pippin surprised at how power, how strong he is for being mm-hmm. so old and all that. Um, pulls him off the pyre. Uh, and then soon after, Denethor, like, jumps out, grabs a torch from one of the servants and, like, jumps on the pyre with the, with the torch, killing himself. Um, yeah, burns himself. But, but and... not before I think he and Gandalf have an interesting kind of exchange where, mm-hmm. um, I, and this is something that I keep seeing is that Gandalf, you know, I, and we may have even addressed this before, but the way that Gandalf approaches a lot of these, a lot of these obstacles within the story is like he doesn't immediately go to his power and like start. It's he's always trying to convince people and give people chances. Sure. And like Theoden, Theoden's a prime example of that. Like Theoden, he he didn't use any of his abilities to try to pull Theoden back to the to the light side at first um trying to give him sort of that choice to to yeah. come back seems like a and, last resort for gandalf often right which is interesting because he is you know he he talks about like he thinks that he can see in the future kind of like um and he's here to like be sort of a i don't know a bastion for like the the, the side of good um and yet he's so he doesn't want to be like the direct influence it seems like he's like just one of these guide guiding forces yeah and but here i mean here he he sort of rescues Faramir. Denethor lights himself on fire, and we hear about this Palantir. And the it's interesting because I, I don't remember if this happens in the movie or not. Um, something I've forgotten, um, which I'm sure you probably remember, but don't tell me because I'll, I'll I'll get it for the first time when I watch. But um, I was wondering if if this is trying to say something about propaganda <laughs> again, making the allegory. Um, because he, he sort of hears all these lies when he's using this Palantir and, mm-hmm. and Gandalf says, your mind's been twisted by all this, uh, all the, you know, the word of Sauron. Right. And I kept thinking like, is that the, is that the influence of like propaganda and in, in listening to corrupt leaders and their lies? I, yeah, no, I totally think you're onto something there. Cause I, and I think Gandalf himself even says something in the text about like, sort of like getting the, the knowledge, like this idea of knowledge versus like, um, wisdom you know what i mean like 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 so taking taking something the prime example being i think this is what the argument gandalf makes um he saw in the palantir he saw the the sails of the enemy on the ships coming Mm -hmm. and he knew that they were coming but so he had that he had that little tidbit he had the little piece of knowledge but he didn't have sort of the wherewithal or like the over the the uh macro vision of it in order to see that it you know, it could be any number of circumstances. He saw the enemy's flags and just took it for what it was, not realizing that he was getting a vision of Aragorn right. coming. Right. Yeah. So there's even that uh, sort of that's the the famous thing with prophecy has always been that, you know, the context is stripped away and you're just seeing something and you don't know what it means. So, 
Yeah, that could be going on here. All right, so chapter eight is called The Houses of Healing. Mary, Faramir, Eowyn, and many others are injured and placed in the Houses of Healing. Aragorn uses King's Foil to help treat the injured. So this was an interesting section here because it was very like the recovery after the battle is over. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see sort of the effect it's had. And we start off with Merry and Pippin meeting in the field and Pippin sort of helping Merry whose arm is all damaged from holding the sword that stabbed the, you know, the witch King and Merry like collapses weeping at one point. And it just was, it was an affecting scene. You know, I feel bad for these, these hobbits and you can just see the, the weight of everything they've been through weighing on them and, and seeing each other now after everything, I think is a, a pretty dramatic moment. Yeah. It's, it makes me also think of when Frodo is stabbed by the blade of, of one of the, uh, Nazgul. Nazgul. Yeah. The, like how it affects him and just thinking of like, Oh, if he were, you know, how would it affect him quite as severely if he was a man? Um, and just like this idea that like, Mary stabbed the the witch king and just the stabbing sort of like sent something through the sword and like damaged his like made his arm like numb or damaged or mm-hmm. something and and he can't really walk very well right now and like just like the the effort of having I think it's just the evil of it of the witch king I think yeah yeah I think that would have happened to anybody you think so yeah, like maybe, to, maybe, to that yeah, extent I think so. yeah because I think because I feel like you see I feel like you see Aragorn you know cut down somebody like this in a in a moment of glory. I don't think you necessarily see, but not the Witch King. I think that's. I think the Witch King is supposed to be special, like especially evil, especially powerful, and just Eowyn's sort of sickness um, that she's being affected by is similar, right? Like both of them have this. Yeah, yeah, um, and and then you, a lot of people are like have been poisoned by the arrows of of other of the yeah, Sauron's men. I, so I guess I guess my example that I'm kind of thinking of is like so we sealed or cuts off the finger of Sauron and then, you know, seemingly kills him and because of, defeats him. Um, I guess we don't have the first, we don't have that close perspective to know whether he dealt with any sort of like, you know, injury or anything like that. But it just seems like the hobbits and, and I guess Eowyn in this situation as well are, are taking just the, just the act of having killed something this evil is like taking a toll on them that I feel like maybe we wouldn't have seen on, on, in like a different character. Hmm. You know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I don't think anyone could know other than Tolkien. Like, if Aragorn had stabbed the Witch King, would the same thing have happened to him? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I guess I took it to be more just that that was the particular evil stain of this being. Um, maybe even Sauron doesn't have the same effect because he's a different sort of he's a different sort of thing. And plus, he wasn't killed, whereas this is like killing the, this creature. So I don't know. You know, it's a uh, it's a, it's a good question, but I don't know the answer to it. But so we're getting into a part here that I think is interesting because Aragorn is sort of really reluctant to claim that he's the king, right? And I think it's smart. Like he, he's kind of playing, he's being political. He's like, I'm not going to enter the city, you know, unless I have to. I don't want to come in with an army. You know, I want to respect the the regency, like all this stuff, right? Um, and then we keep we hear this prophecy or or old saying about like a king he has like healing hands, and then there's sort of the clever twist of like he knows about this herb that he when he was like a ranger that you mm-hmm. could use to help heal poison. And he says well, we should give that to them, and so he has them go collect this herb and they give it to the people who've been poisoned and they give it to Mary and they give it to Eowyn and it has this miraculous sort of healing power and it's sort of come true that he is this healing king. Um, and I don't see how you can't look at like a king who heals and sort of 
I don't know. It, this this was very Christ allegory to me too. Even yeah. though I know Gandalf is typically the one who's who's more in that role here, but you know the Healing King. I don't know. Just it definitely made me think of that. Yeah, I agree. It was just sort of this being that it felt biblical. Definitely, no one else was going to be able to heal these people. And I agree with you. It is it is just sort of that idea that like a savior who who comes in and and like heals mm-hmm. people that that seemingly couldn't be healed and you know were suffering from an illness they didn't understand or whatever. Um, I I agree. I I felt some of that as well. Yeah, I did think it was funny that when Mary woke up, he really wants some of the halfling weed. He's like, man, I really need to need some of that sweet Kush. And yet, <laughs> and yet, what's great? He he was willing to give it up because of because of the death of Theoden, which I thought was like pretty. He was like um, something about how he he would give it up. He he would never be able to smoke again without thinking of Theoden because that was kind of their last conversation. Was talking about like sitting and telling stories and smoking together. Um, and then I think it's Gandalf who says like, no, but smoke and rejoice and think of him when you smoke and like sort of like yeah. ha- have it be a celebration. Um, pretty affecting that, that like. And then he gives him his medical marijuana card. Exactly. <laughs> he says, you were injured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and we hear about Aragorn literally going out amongst the people and healing them with this with this poison uh, healing herb. And this is another moment of like sort of playing. I know that like within like, we know the context of everything that's going on, but seemingly to everyone else, Aragorn has powers again. Like he's, yeah. he, you know what I mean? Something like otherworldly for, for these people. It is interesting how like th- the role is of a sort of magical healer, yet the explanation is more mundane than that. Yeah. You know, I love that it comes from his ranger background too. That's, it's just like yeah. so fitting. Yeah, and I don't know if that, like, I'm. I wonder what that's trying to say. Like, I, I don't think it takes away from the act. No, um, but it's interesting that he's that everybody sort of believes that something mystical is happening, and is he just saying something about like how people are and how we ascribe things, you know, like mystical power or mystical meanings, even if they if they aren't necessarily, or maybe he's saying that they do actually have it, even though they might not appear that way. Right. I don't know. Like. Uh, and I think it's made more powerful by the fact that it was a, this prophecy, like this prophecy of old that like, oh, when, when, when eventually the king does come, he'll, he'll have healing hands and this yep. sort of thing. Um, and you, they've been waiting so long for the, the king of Gondor to, to return. And this is like the moment and the healing lines up. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it all fits together nicely. And that rolls us right into the next chapter, which is called The Last Debate. Um, and this chapter begins with Legolas and Gimli coming into Minas Tirith and sort of throwing shade on the whole area um, talking about how, Oh, it needs some more trees and Oh, it needs some more this and that. Like they're, they're sort of uh, unimpressed in many ways or like slightly impressed, but not too impressed, which I thought was funny. I I Um, thought it was nice that they were like, when, when, when Aragorn comes to power, we'll send, we'll send, you know, the best builders and we'll send trees that'll never die. We'll fix this up. Yeah. We'll fix this place up. Um, So Gimli and Legolas come and meet Merry and Pippin again and the captains of the West hold a council on their next action. They decide to send 7,000 men against Mordor to march on the Black Gate. So, again, this is a place where we see Aragorn being very hesitant to claim the throne. Um, he's sort of playing the game. He doesn't want to come in and f- seem like a conquering, you know what I mean, like a conqueror. He wants to come in and, and, and have the will of the people. I will say that I think in the last chapter, Faramir wakes up and immediately names him king. And he takes the title, yeah. and he is everybody king, else but he wants him to be king. <laughs> like right. Everybody but, wants him to be. But he, like, he yeah. isn't like immediately say, sitting on the throne and being like, "I'm now the king. Let's take all the forces and everything." Yeah. Like he's still kind of strategically deciding how lo- he. They have like a secret meeting, 
where it's like uh, Elrond's sons and himself and mm-hmm. I think Gandalf and maybe a few other people. And they're just talking about like what what they can do at this point. And, you know, it's decided that like, although it could be suicide, they're going to send 7,000 men to, to draw the eye of Sauron, to draw Sauron's attention from the hope that, that you know, Frodo, because that's their hope of winning. Because yeah. they're, they're outnumbered, I think, like, they say, like, 10 times and then 10 times more mm-hmm. or something like that. So they just can't, they, they could never contend with the numbers. They're just going to have to beat him in a more direct way. So I want to touch again on the Army of the Dead, because it gets, it gets talked about here a little bit as Gimli sort of tells the story of what happened. And the Army of the Dead helped them to kill the Mariners who were going to be in this fleet and drive actually drive them away in fear unclear whether or not they were killed like cast themselves into the water like um out of just sheer terror um because it says that they have these pale swords that Gimli wasn't even sure we're going to be able to like stab anybody but then they didn't have to because everyone was so afraid right so it's a very different sort of interaction than what we what we later see in the movie but we'll get to that just yet but I it is interesting because there's like these slaves that were like tied to the oars on the boats who can't mm-hmm. flee because they're tied down and then they get liberated and then they 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 decide they're going to keep on rowing as free men now um right. so you know there's some savior stuff going on here but um i i was trying to figure out what like the dead really represent because i was thinking more about like tolkien and fighting in, in the in the first world war and all the dead death he has seen in his life like um you know, he he would have lived through the Spanish flu, like, you know, we talked about, you know, speaking of uh, pandemics. And the dead come to fight for the cause of the living in this book. And what does that, like, what does he, what is he trying to say with that, I guess? So, you know, I'm trying to suss this out as we go, because I hadn't really thought all that much about that. But mm-hmm. so I think there's something interesting to think about. So they're ghosts. So you can think of like ghosts of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can think of like the sins of the sins of the father affecting the, the lineage and all that kind of thing. I think potentially it's like this sort of I, I think they represent maybe people who are allied with an access power, allied with whoever at some point and realize they're of their ways turning to maybe come to the aid at their cor- at the correct time and in okay. maybe it being a pivotal moment. Um, I do also I, I was thinking about the dead. um and it's also kind of stated in the book, this idea that like the, these are just men that were cursed, right? So they're mm-hmm. not really necessarily some magic. They are magical beings or whatever now because they've been cursed and they're ghosts clearly. But um, they were just men who became cursed and they terrify the evil of Sauron. They, well, maybe not Sauron, but like his men. So mm-hmm. they don't even have to fight. The they're just, they run in terror. So like evil running in terror is yeah. something else I think that that the ghosts represent is like sort of, I don't know, making making evil, showing that like they aren't this like stalwart evil sort of like thing that can't be wavered and and they can they can be affected by fear and things like that. Well, and fear is a what I was sort of zeroing in on in my my reading of this, and I can't. This is where I was making my strongest World War II allegories here in this section because I was thinking about how the, the people of the, the, these ships were said to be like from the East and they were coming to fight and that still the East is mobilizing Mm -hmm. um, to, to fight in this war and the terror of the dead stops the attack. they get this sort of Navy and they come and defend. And I was thinking about how 
you know, during World War II, the nuclear bomb was dropped. And one of not not only was it the power of destroying, you know, the cities, but like it was a it was a almost a terrorist act and that it was it was designed to frighten the Japanese to their very core so that they would give up. It was it was almost a morale thing, like, right, like you can't stand against this power and and it's literally harnessing death, right? Like I am become death, destroyer of worlds um kind of deal and yet and here you're seeing literally the army of the dead being used in a similar way and it's sort of a a battle of fear and then it's a one-time event and then it's gone right like the power is no longer there that you know they're the 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 army of the dead leaves um and i don't know i i I mean again tolkien wouldn't like this (laughs) he wouldn't like us making this comparison but um, there was just enough dots connecting for me. It's kind of messy. It doesn't, it's not all one-to-one, you know, like it probably should be. Um, but I don't know. I was seeing a little bit of that. And, um, I don't think it's, it's said to like condone any of these acts or something. It's just, uh, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, this is the time he was living in. He was seeing these events play out, you know, in his day-to-day life. And, uh, maybe some of that got into this work. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, you just reminded me that the we spoke about the the army of the dead in the battle with Theoden and everybody at Minas Tirith, but yeah, they're not. And, I don't, I'm not even sure. Did they actually fight in that battle? I don't believe that they did because okay, they. Okay, so I, I think I just assumed they were there and they weren't really talked about that much. Yeah, well, I did um, the same. Like I, I thought yeah. that because I think yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we had the. Context he was there. He was he was at the head of a host. Like they had an army with them, and I think right. I assumed it was the dead. And it's just um, the Dunedain, apparently. But it was just the Dunedain and right. then some of these free men, I think, that they right. that they freed. Yeah, so he Ar- Aragorn um, releases them from their from their oath and says that their oath has been fulfilled and everything. So they after this sort of like overtaking of the fleet, I think they go away. Yeah. So even even less of a sort of dramatic battle turning moment here in the in the book um, plays out a little differently for sure. So yeah, let's get to this plan. So this plan is um, a bold one by Gandalf. He essentially says, uh, "What we need to do is go in <laughs> and have no hope, just just a, a head-on assault of the Black Gate, and we have no chance of winning this. But all the only reason we're going to do it is we have to draw the eye, um, so that Frodo and Sam can complete their mission. And he doesn't even really talk a lot about like." what exactly the mission is. I don't know. Like he's very, he's, he's not, he doesn't want to say too much. Right. Um, right. Well, I think the people who need to know, know. Exactly. Right? I think like, exactly. Yeah. But, but you have 7,000 men going to do this. So, you know what I mean? Not everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and they're going on this sort of suicide mission. Um, it's a bold, it's a bold plan. I think it, it fits the moment. Um, and I like that these, these people all come together and say like, yeah, it might not work. In fact, it probably won't. We're probably all going to die. But if we just stay here, we're going to die anyway because they know about the, exactly. the, the massive forces that are arraying against them. Right. The alternative is to do, I think it's said in the book, the alternative is to do basically what men and Denethor and everybody have been doing up to that point is just hole up and delay the inevitable for as long as possible or, you know, push and try to try to draw the draw the draw the attention of Sauron and hopefully... You know, they don't even, there's no updates for Frodo and Sam. They have no idea, like, if they've yep. been taken or anything yet, which yeah, comes exactly. to play a part here in a second. Yeah. I did, I thought it was kind of funny at the end of this chapter, Gandalf unsheathes his sword and holds it up and he says, you shall not be sheathed again until the last battle is fought. And and I yeah. I was like, 
cut to like 10 minutes later yeah. as he's like walking down the hallways holding it getting on his horse trying to trying to mount while holding this sword he's like oh, fucking all right and he cheats it <laughs> it was more metaphorical <laughs> yeah i and, but was it for some reason i thought it was aragorn who, who drew the sword and said that but right i think it was yeah because it was Anduril, wasn't it yeah so i think you're right i think you're right all right. Apologies to Gandalf if uh, if I got that one wrong. He's not the one who's walking around with the sword out. Regardless, uh, Aragorn's Aragorn. walking down the halls, dragging dragging the tip of his sword from behind him, and, and he's he's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to hold this up anymore. Or he's like accidentally stabbing people as he turns around because he won't put it away. He's like, just put the sword away. It's on his shoulder. He's walking around with it on his shoulder, <laughs> whapping people in the head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so chapter ten is called "The Black Gate Opens." The army with Gandalf, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, and Pippin, but not Merry, marches to the Black Gate. The mouth of Sauron comes out to discuss terms and presents tokens, which are owned by Frodo. He then departs, and the army of Mordor attacks them. Okay, so that's the little summary. Let's break it down. We have, first off, Merry being told that he has to stay behind. Um, This time, I kind of get it. I mean, he's still kind of injured. His arm still isn't working very well. Um, I think he's starting to get some feeling back in it, um, but it's, it's still, still a problem. And he's, he's told he needs to stay behind with Burgle. And it seems like he also has this, like, he's achieved this great feat. Like he's done something that like no one else can touch right now. And Pippin has this feeling of like, I got to go do something to, to equal what Mary did because he had this crazy moment where he helped defeat the witch king. I think that that is something that Gandalf says as well. I think he says something along the line to Mary in order to tell him not to come. Just yeah, saying like, like you've, you've already done enough, enough and, yeah. and like, you know, if, if you did nothing else, like you've already done enough. Uh, and then, yeah, later I think Pippin is like, well, Mary killed yeah, the witch king. Like, what do I need to do? Step it up. Um, I do like that as they're approaching, they're just like blowing trumpets and announcing that the king has come because they're trying to like draw all the attention they can. Um, there's also a nice moment where I think Aragorn shows some good leadership where it, it, they discuss how, how there are a there's certain number of the troops that are despairing over their situation and are like getting ready to flee. And he instead like reassigns them to go help out in a, another area. He like gives them another mission that'll take them away from Mordor, realizing that they... Um, whether they're too young or they don't understand the moment or they don't understand what they're doing or they don't have any you know belief in it. He finds a way to like use these s- troops of his to still do something worthwhile and not just have them flee. Um, and I think it was it was a smart moment to show Aragorn being like a capable leader here on the field in the field. Yeah, he's like a merciful king. He he doesn't want people to. And the other thing is like right, he doesn't like punish saying, them for being afraid. Right, right. And the other thing is like like you said, being a good leader. Like even having soldiers like that on the battlefield could be poisonous to the other soldiers and stuff. And yep. and just like realizing like if for the for it's just better overall to be sort of like somebody who rolls with the punches rather than like just like a brick wall and telling people what to do that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, good moment of seeing him kind of becoming a, a good king, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we're hoping he'll be. Yeah. So how about the mouth of Sauron, man? This guy is uh, he's something. He he was a character. He's he's apparently he's a man, and he just works for Sauron. Right, and, <laughs> and I always like, thought that he, it was more of a creature <laughs> sort of manifestation of Sauron. No, but it's just a guy who like works his way up the ranks. Yeah. Yeah. And he has like some he has like some personality to him, you know? Like right. he's he's clearly got, you know, aspirations to be like the leader 
He, he, he implies that he will be the sort of lord overseeing all of the realms of men. And we get the offer here from Sauron of like, we're going to leave you guys. You can just stay here. This whole area is going to be ours, but we'll leave you here to govern yourselves. You just have to like pay a tithe to us and and, and ultimately you're under our fealty. It's like saying we're, we're going to create this empire and it's trying to give them an out. Like if you take this, it won't be as bad. We're not just going to wipe you all out in some sort of mass genocide. Right. Um, and then they get the impression that this guy is going to be the one that they would answer to. Again, he's quite a character. He he's like he's all full of bluster, but then like Aragorn stares at him for a minute, and then all of a sudden he like he's like, "Oh, don't kill me! I'm just the messenger." <laughs> Whatever. Right. Like he, even yeah. though Aragorn doesn't say anything. And there's uh, the moment of of he he becomes fearful after sort of there. There's like an exchange that goes on. They he brings out obviously the uh, Sam sword. I think Frodo's yeah, and the, and the Frodo's um, Elven, of Elven cloak, and then uh, the yeah the thing of Mithril. Armor and we don't know how he got those at this point in the book. So um, it's this moment of like, huh? Oh, you're saying like we didn't know we didn't know that he had them. We know how he got them. Well, we didn't. I guess we hadn't seen exactly that the, those had gotten taken and where they had gone and like how they got there, I guess. Because we don't know the fate of Frodo yet because where we last oh, left I him, he had been saying. captured. So we don't know. And we know that this we. We know that this is an advanced timeline from last we touched in with Frodo and Sam. So this moment sort of implies something has gone on that we don't know about. Right, yeah, you're correct. And maybe it's that they've been killed. Yeah, we talked about how this entire f- book here, you know, the book five of, of Lord of the Rings, the, it has been nothing but Aragorn and Gandalf and, and Theoden and all of their journey. Um, and... I was assuming that most of the the next book was going to be Sam and Frodo, but I think up to where we got Sam and Frodo's journey is like nearly over. There's just some wrapping up to do. So, so return of the King really is the return of the King. It's, it's like very little Sam and Frodo. I think it has something to do with the fact that the, uh, the Shelob stuff at the end of two towers kind of throws everything from what I'm most accustomed to, which is the movies. Um, and so like thinking of, how little there actually is of Sam and Frodo. There's only three chapters as far. I mean, yeah. then, you know, there'll, there'll be some, some other ones coming up here. Yeah, I think, I think, we'll um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's, there's a lot that happens in the three chapters in the next part of the book, which we'll get to. Um, and you know, I would just say uh, quality over quantity, you know? Yeah, no, I think these are, <laughs> and I think they're quality chapters for sure. Yeah. Uh, but so to talk about the mouth of, of Sauron again, real quick, this moment of fear that he shows and like sort of flees after, after they're like, no deal they he he like offers the Sauron deal where you know they would have to pay fealty uh they're like Gandalf is like no fucking way we're not taking that deal and then he like runs away and is like don't kill the messenger like you said again yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh he's got like, some he's got some personality to him i like it yeah and so they're the Gandalf basically says like you better get the fuck out of here cuz the whole the whole like you know don't kill the messenger thing is about to be null and void yeah. we're going to kill you in a yeah. second <laughs> exactly so he takes off and then the trap is sprung right apparently there was they were always planning to spring this trap and as soon as he runs into the gates all these these army comes pouring out and the Nazgul come flying in and there's just a massive attack well and they're surrounded from all sides too from yeah. seemingly all sides and they're they have you know, airborne, airborne enemies. Yeah, they're like springing out of the rocks and the mountains and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, which, which I think, uh, in the minds of the characters, is is a good thing, right? They're like, good, we didn't, we didn't want just well, like the the front <laughs> force. I mean, they're, yeah, they're yes good. and no. <laughs> I think it's the plan. I don't know how good it is. Is <laughs> they're surrounded. I'm by just enemies saying, and... if it had just been the forces coming out of the Black Gate, they'd be like, well, we didn't really draw his eye all that much. But they they are surrounded. Yeah. You can tell that Sauron's full attention is on this battle. Right, which was the plan. And that's where we leave them. 
Uh, we do get, actually, well, I should say Pippin kills a cave troll, and then we leave. <laughs> right, which is, again, badass. It's pretty cool. Oh, he actually, and he hears some eagles, which is important, I guess, for what's going to happen in the future. He hears some eagles, and he said, and he, as he's, like, getting knocked out or something, he hears eagles, and he says, wait, is this Bilbo's story? Um, which I, I don't know if that's, like, lampshading of the fact that, <laughs> famously, The Hobbit ends with eagles coming, and he's doing it again here. Um, but, you know... Or, or maybe it's just a sort of a, a narrative harmony, an echo of a previous, you know, story. That's we'll, we'll, we'll be generous and say that. I was gonna say, I feel like it's probably that, but uh, yeah, the eagle, like uh, he hears people saying the eagles are coming, the eagles are coming, which is, I think, probably verbatim what it's what is said in in the Hobbit, right? I yeah. think it's. Literally I like think the so. Eagles yeah. are coming is like a famous line. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see when we whenever we cover the Hobbit, like how how much these reflect each other. Yeah, looking forward to that at some point. Uh, so. Here we are, book six, which is the final of the six books of The Lord of the Rings. Let's get into it. Chapter one is called The Tower of Kirith Ungol, or Sirith Ungol. I'm not really sure how to pronounce that. Um, and basically, this whole chapter is just Sam infiltrating the Orc Tower to find Frodo. Yeah, but it's it's got some twists and turns to it. A um, couple yeah, of sure. things. So Sam has the ring. Um, so he's feeling the burden of the ring while also kind of like envisioning this glorious warrior Sam Samwise the yeah the, I liked that yeah, Samwise the gardener or whatever and then and then getting kind of the embodiment of that with the with the shadow that's shown on the wall that mm-hmm. scares off the orc um, yeah I just think that's super cool symbolism and like this idea of like he is this character that he's like envisioning himself as he literally is that like Samwise yeah. the brave warrior that like. He's, you know, he's not doing it necessarily in battle, but he's like one of the biggest heroes. So to see him sort Absolutely. of get that, the, the, the long shadow that he casts is such a good metaphor for like. He, I, yeah, I would argue he is the biggest hero of this entire yeah. series. Uh, I think he has to be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he is resisting the, the, the sort of power of the ring. You know, he can feel it. It's a burden and he, and he can hear it calling to him, but he, he's resisting it. Yeah, and then so he scares them, and then he's he's got the just like the cojones to start singing in this on his way <laughs> oh, yeah. up the on his way that. up the tower. He's like singing a song, and the orcs are like, "Shut the fuck up down there!" And he's like, "He's like, I'm an elf, elf warrior, or whatever." Yeah, an elf warrior. Yeah, this he has this idea that he's this deadly elf warrior, and and it seems like a lot of the orcs in the area have bought into it, and they think that's what he is. Yeah. A great, a great chapter in my opinion. I yeah. love it. And so, then he, so when he finally finds Frodo, um, he comes up there. I think Gorbag. There's Gorbag and and Shag or Gorbag and Shag Shagrat. I, I don't know. Some. I think it's Gorbag. Okay. Um. Anyway, these 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 orcs have fought each other. There's this mad battle as they're fighting over Frodo's things. I think. And um, I, I, I is this the mithril? Is this the items that ends up getting to the mouth of Sauron? Is that is that this these items that they were fighting over? I think so because we find um, we, we when Sam finds Frodo, Frodo's naked, and he's yes. been like seemingly tortured and asked for information yeah. and all this stuff. So I think over time they were collecting all this stuff, and it's I think it's only after they have escaped that the, the orcs and everybody in the tower realize like the importance of these people that were here. Um, I think they realize well, and a lot of people are dead. He comes in and there's just dead bodies everywhere. Right. They've literally fought them, like killed all, they've all killed each other in this crazy yeah. battle. Um, and and I, I, again, it's like, I'm like, what does this mean? Right. It's this greed that has overcome them and they're, they're fighting amongst themselves. And maybe it's just like saying something about how greed is such a terrible motivator that it's going to, it's going to turn on itself or something. I, I think there's like a contrast between Sam being able to, to re- 
kind of push back and repress this sort of call from the ring uh be, because he's it's love right like he's just like full yeah. of like like duty and love for his for his friend frodo um and i think that he he's like a juxtaposition of these other people who you know if they got their hands on the ring all they would see is the glory all they would see is the power and all they would see is like um it kind of reminds me of the mirror of Irised from from Harry Potter. The sort of like <laughs> the Dumbledore's riddle is like if the only person people who could get the Philosopher's Stone are the are the people who would want it but never use it. So mm. sort of like the the idea that like Sam wants the ring because he wants to destroy it, but he would never use it um, for the sort of glory and like how that juxtaposes to the the people who are and and Sauron I think is the like the ultimate representation of that is like just all he can think about is himself and like like power and selfishness and what mm-hmm. uh what he can do to grow his power and that kind of thing and um i think that's one of the ultimate you know morals of this of this story is is the sort of idea that like as cliched as is like the love or like friendship things like that are more powerful than than sort of like thinking of what you can do alone and like even if you're the most powerful person by yourself two people who are together and they have that bond could potentially best you or, or in the way that sam and sam and frodo do yeah, I like that. And just you talking about the ring again just makes me <laughs> think about in what and something about what you said about like the people who are possessing it. And can you imagine in World War II if Hitler and the Germans had developed the nuclear bomb first? No, I mean there's a lot of shows and stuff. I feel like we like I'm sure there's a lot of literature written about it. Well, and that that's the thing. It's like that's like Sauron with the ring, like it's like made they're like made for each other, and they would not have hesitated to use them and just like have dominion over all like it would have been the end of the war right Mm -hmm. um it would it would have been the end of everything and yeah it's crazy to think about and i don't know the ring sort of represents that here in the book to me even though Tolkien may disagree anyway um so sam comes in finds frodo the orc falls down the hatch and breaks his neck and um i thought it was you know a, a tender moment um literally cradles him like a child and sort of wakes him up and you know is is there for him and i just their friendship is just so true and so heartwarming um and continues and i think it's so important too because it has to be to stand up to what what they have to go through and even here we see frodo sort of turn on him for a second when he when he says oh i have the ring you know i've been carrying it for you and he says like oh you thief and he you know he accuses him of being a thief and all this stuff and then he apologizes but we can see that the rings effect and and the has has twisted his mind in some ways right and uh even the most resilient yeah. of of people that we've we've come to realize are these hobbits like even they eventually just as Gollum was just as every bilbo was over time like it just gets to you you can't you cannot withstand it for 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 all that long and so frodo's you know he's gotten to the point where he can't he can't refuse it anymore and he can't he can't stop himself um and yeah that that's like a heartbreaking moment when when frodo snaps on him and like kind of does the same thing that bilbo does to frodo in in uh in rivendell all right chapter two is called the land of shadow sam and frodo make their way into mordor and they are captured by an orc company so again this is this is them traveling through this just like barren bleak twisted countryside of mordor and it's so it's so bad and at one point uh he even says like i don't know how how 
Sauron fe- feeds his armies? And right. I was like, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're like, um, do they even eat? And and I think yeah. Frodo or, or Sam, one of the two says, like, of course they eat. They're, uh, you know, Sauron could, he can't like manifest this evil and like do all this stuff. It ha- he has to manipulate others into doing it. So, of course, they're, they're actual beings that need to eat and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and he has these like cisterns of water periodically that they end up drinking out of, mm-hmm. um, where where they can get water and stuff. Uh, so yeah, they do seem to have some actual, you know, biological needs um, that that are being addressed. Um, I did. They they're basically disguised as orcs at this point. They dress up like orcs to to hide as they're going into Mordor because that's all that there is around here are orcs. And at one at some point they get picked up by this the slave driver who thinks that they're like uh, deserters and he gets them back in line and they're walking and he, he, he says uh, where there's a whip, there's a will my slugs, um, which I thought was an interesting line. Um, and he, uh, I don't know. He's just, you know, whenever I get these orcs with the, with, you know, having some personality and having some lines, it always surprises me a little bit. Um, I, I know we have those moments in the, in the movie too, but um, I feel like there may be fewer of them. Yeah, I mean, seeing the orcs as as not these like mindless, faceless creatures, uh, yeah, I think you know adds to sort of everything that goes on in the story because well, it is it is there are people dying like they're 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 yeah. they're they are like living beings that are that are for yeah. the cause of sorrow which have been manipulated. kind of muddies the water a little bit, especially when you start thinking about the ones that are slaves who are being driven to fight against their will, um, right? But. I think this is also something we get more of in the extended versions of the movies, I should also say, because these are a lot of the scenes that get cut, right? Like little moments of the orcs talking amongst themselves. Like those are often the things that get cut. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in the extended. There's honestly very few, you know, there are obviously changes, but there's a lot of the stuff that if you love the books, you got to watch the extended versions because it's it's like almost everything (laughs) there. Yeah. And that's what we'll be watching that. Uh, and then once again, a skirmish breaks out um, at the end of this chapter. Um, it's just a lot. It's a long, brutal walk. There's a lot being done to just drive home how just difficult the terrain is, how tired they are, how their morale is sinking, right. and how Sam is like continuing to be the one to to convince Frodo to continue going. When when they get pulled into this marching formation, they we've already seen Frodo almost unable to to travel for for very long. Like he has to rest constantly, they need to drink, and then they get brought into this company and I think it's like 12 miles or something they talk about they go and the entire time Frodo's like falling over like about to like he can't make it and even says like Sam Sam says like I I didn't think I was going to be able to make it much longer. I can't believe Frodo's still going. And then they collapse down and, and then they have to crawl away. And like just the effort, the way that Tolkien describes the effort that it takes to crawl away from sort of that that dog pile into like this like trench area where they end up hiding. Um, you can just tell how exhausted they are. You're like, God, if they could just get like 12 hours of sleep and some food and some water, they could they could make this journey, but they have to make it as quickly as possible. And it's so dangerous of an area. Um, and I'm sure that that has something to do with like war as well. Right. Like so in war, it's like if they could if you just get a good night's rest, some, some food and some water. It's like a godsend. And, and just thinking about the chaos, never knowing if you're safe. Well, and just how tired you are when you're on the front lines too, right? Like, cause famously, you know, on, in these trenches, there's just artillery shells exploding all night and you're trying to sleep not only with the noise, but with the knowledge that at any moment, if you're, if, you know, if, if you're luck, if you have bad luck, an artillery shell could come into the trench and kill you. Right. Um, and just imagine trying to sleep in that situation. 
and people are doing that, you know, day in, day in and day out. And, and yeah, I definitely think uh, Tolkien was was remembering his times uh, in the in the war for these for these points here. Um, there is a moment where they the the Nazgul in the air like let out a screech and they can tell. And Sam has a sort of a a moment where he says like something has happened, something big has happened, and we we get told through sort of the omniscient narrator that this is when the Witch King was killed in combat. So it's interesting to see how connected they all are and how they instantly know when something like that happens, um, even so far away. Like that, that all of Mordor seems to know about it. So, and then, yeah, once again, like we said, there's a skirmish that breaks out as these, like, different orc factions are trying to get in through a gate, and they just start fighting and killing each other. And we're seeing a lot of this, like, sort of infighting, um, and, and I wonder if that's being driven by, the fa- by like, the fact that maybe they've lost some battles, and maybe, you know, all is not as unified, or it could just be that that's how orcs are. Um, which I think Sam even says at one point, like that's just how these orcs are, and that they would they would put they would put aside their differences and kill us if they knew we were here. Right. The uh, there's that moment when when they see like a scout and like a warrior together, orcs, and like the they end up turning on each other and killing one of them kills the other. I think the scout kills the warrior, and and Sam mm-hmm. is just like, if only each orc would kill another orc, we'd only have to fight half as many. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just interesting to think that they're always fighting each other, seemingly whenever we see them at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it sh- shows the disorder and the ranks and sort of like you said, like the if your if your motivations are bad, it, you're going to get situations like this. So now we get into chapter 3, which is the final chapter we covered called Mount Doom. And this chapter is about the ascent of Mount Doom and and the final confrontation. Um it starts off with Sam really realizing that there's no return for them. He says it's the first time he's realized that this is the end. That once they get there, if you know if they're successful, they're going to die because they don't have enough supplies. They, they don't have enough strength. There's no way they're getting back. Um, and he has this moment where he's like sort of defeated, but then he finds this inner strength, and he and he finds that he gets really stern and his will hardens. And he's like, if this is the task at hand, this is the job, then we're going to do it. Right. Um, I thought that was an interesting sort of inter- introspective moment for him. Yeah. And and just the will of Sam and like the, the you know, the meager beginnings and like what, what he represents the story. All of this is why Sam is my favorite character in Lord of the Rings, because he, he sure. represents like the everyman, but at the same time shows you know, the most courage you could possibly show for anyone in the entire story and shows that like, you know, he, he, you know, we've, we've talked about how he represses the, the, the pull to the ring. He, he freely gives Frodo the ring when he asks for it. You know, it's not like he has any sort of pull where he's like my precious yet. Although he hasn't, you know, he hasn't had it for that long. Um, but, but this, yeah, this moment where he just like solidifies, like if I die, it's, you know, it's, it's for the, the cause that we've been on, you know, the, the, the journey that we've been on this whole time. Um, and, and the way that he's, one of my it just like it always strikes me and it's always always gives me goosebumps when he he decides that frodo can no longer can no longer walk on his own and he just says like i'm gonna carry him and he decides to carry him and there's this moment where sam realizes i may not be able to carry the ring but i can carry you he says a little more than that in the book but in the book yeah um but so but this moment of while he's carrying him he has this realization that like he's not as heavy as he thought he would be as frodo yeah and it's i think it's this idea that like he's he's decided what his goal is like he's decided like i'm going to finish this and i think he thought 
that like carrying Frodo and the ring at the same time, he would feel the burden of the ring, but it's seemingly only the ring bearer feels the burden while he can somewhat like, you know, he's just carrying a hobbit on his back. There's no like, there's no sort yeah, of like who's weight very thin and malnourished. Yeah. Right. So I, yeah. I, yeah, just a overall really affecting, affecting moment and scene for me. There is another moment where Sam offers to carry the ring for a while. And Frodo has a, has another kind of freak out moment of, you know, you can't, you can't have it. You can't, you know, and it's again, it's the ring sort of twisting him. And we see Frodo is just in a really bad way right now. Like he's not only is he tired and, and thirsty and hungry and all that, but he also the weight of the ring is getting heavier and heavier as the closer they get. Like it's defending itself in a way. And it's it wants desperately to for him not to be able to get there. Um, and then, yeah, we get the moment where Sam carries Frodo, which because Frodo doesn't have the strength to go on any further. And really, that's I think we talked about this early on in our coverage, but like these two, it took these two together. Like, let's not have any mis- like not make any mistake. Sam couldn't have done this by himself. It's his love of another person, I think, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's if he was just himself trying to do this, I don't think he'd be able to do it. It's the fact that he cares more about Frodo than he does the ring destroying the ring he doesn't he cares more about frodo than he does the mission i think right. and i think that's one of the reasons that gives him so much strength here and why they're able to do this together and that's why i think ultimately that it's one of the most enduring and just sort of memorable friendships in a, in a story it's just this like sure. the journey that they've gone through together they've been through war together and then Gollum, enter Gollum. all right he uh he tackles sam uh they they fight uh but ultimately, uh, Gollum is bested, and uh, this sort of rouses Frodo to continue on, and he ends up leaving Sam and Gollum, who are fighting together. Frodo goes off to complete the mission on his own, and then Sam says, like, well, you know, finally I'm going to kill you, and he prepares to kill Gollum, but ends up having mercy and deciding not to kill him. Um, and again, this is a moment of, you know, for Sam has like every right, like he's been provoked many times. The Gollum keeps coming back and fucking with them. It seems like the move, but he, you know, mercy stays his hand and he thinks about the, he, after carrying the ring a while for himself, he can really think about how it's affected Gollum and the, the, the way it's weighed on his mind. And, um, he ends up sparing him and then follows after Frodo and they enter the the final room of Mount Doom, chasm or whatever it is. <laughs> the number of times we've heard Sam say like, "If I got my hands on him, I would kill him." To to yeah. about Gollum, and every time, uh, you know, I think he like goes out scouting at one point to like find water and sees like the shadow of Gollum, and he's like, "If only I could get to him." Um, so he just he he constantly says how much he he just wishes he could kill Gollum, and then given the opportunity, shows mercy, which again I think is is a sign of wisdom in these stories for Tolkien because. We see Gandalf, we see Aragorn, and now we see Sam show mercy to the enemy, um, which I think not only takes courage, but takes just, I I think, it it takes giving someone an opportunity to change themselves. And I think that that's, you know, part of mercy. And and in a roundabout way, it ends up saving Frodo's life, but, and saving the day. But it's not, it's hard to say that it was planned <laughs> or any, you know what I mean? Like it seems like completely random, but also faded in a way. Seems like Gandalf foretold this basically when he said he may have yet, yet have a part to play um, before this is over. 
Yeah. So in this final room, uh, Frodo has this moment where he turns around and says, I am not going to, I've come all this way, but I'm not going to complete this. I'm not going to throw the ring in. It's mine. I've earned it at this point. And so we see even Frodo after all of this, like the, the ring bests him. It's, it's the sheer power of this ring is more powerful than any one person, I think. Right. And I think that's on display here. And, it seems that Frodo did as best as one person could possibly do, and that's to get it to the very brink. Um, and that's through the help of Sam. And then uh, Gollum strikes, and he, uh, Frodo goes invisible, but Gollum lands on him. They have this battle where he's invisible, and then we see Gollum bite down. And in a moment that I remember the first time I saw it was on the animated film when I was a little kid. And the, the bites his finger off. And it was like one of the most brutal things I'd ever seen at that point. You know, I was very young. And so I always remember that moment. And I'm, I'm excited to watch that animated film again for our bonus episode. And um, yeah, I, I was thinking of that again. Uh, takes the ring, says, my pre- I got my precious, basically gets his ring back. But then he just kind of trips. He just kind of trips and falls in, um, which I can't remember how it plays out in the movie. But I feel like it's, it's a little different. But um just on his own trips and falls into the, into the fire. And I, and there's a great moment where, um, Sauron, there's this, like Sauron realizes his folly. Uh, I just thought that was so cool. And, and like looks back at the mountain and goes, Oh shit, you know? And, uh, yeah, he's made a big mistake. Right. Yeah. Underestimating, you know, sort of, I, I think, you know, based on the fact that his forces knew that there were like little hobbits in, in Mordor, um, you know, you would think he'd be like at least somewhat focused, but he thought he, I think, and I don't know if we mentioned this, but um, seemingly Aragorn and Gandalf un- thought that Sauron would assume since, since Aragorn has taken the throne, uh, they thought that Sauron would assume that Aragorn had the ring and he was coming to Mordor to fight using the power from the ring. Um, so right. that's kind of why they, why Sauron's gaze was, was, was there and wasn't really worried about hobbits in Mordor. Um, but yeah, this scene, it's like the the moment of, of Frodo denying throwing the, the ring into the fire, into the lava, into Mordor. It's also a tragedy because like Sam Sam took him to this point, you know what I mean? Sam got him all the yep. way there. And he says to Sam, like, I don't care, it's mine. Like, I'm not throwing it into the fire. And yep. and and ultimately, like, Sam, there's nothing he, he could do about it at that point. It's it's the, um, I would say this is the black moment, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from, like, storytelling Um theory mm-hmm. like this is the ultimate all is lost moment because if if frodo is rec- you know recanting his mission and saying that i'm not going to do it like it can't get any worse than that right, right. and and i do want to say like as much as I, I think people give frodo frodo a lot of shit because of how tempted by the ring he was but i think like clearly i think we've talked about sam as the the greatest hero in the story i would say but the hero the fact that Frodo was able to withstand the call of the ring to to the point that that he would deny the quest all the way up until getting to the fires is is really uh, you know not only dramatic but like it's a it's a huge character trait for him as well like clearly he's brave and clearly he's a hero that's it's overcome so much and then to see him in the last moment I, I, th- I think he's I think he does as well as anybody could could right. honestly I think anyone and 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 I think Tolkien's trying to say here that it takes more than that it takes teamwork it takes friendship it takes two people and some luck to to overcome this thing and and not to mention uh Gollum representing sort of the 
like being so not knowing where he's at you know what i mean being yeah. so enthralled by the ring that he so doesn't realize that yeah. he's about to die because he's he's too stupid to realize that because he's so drawn to the ring he's too dumb to realize that he's at the cliffside as he pulls the ring away and falls in or just too just too you know engaged uh, with focused like, on yeah yeah just yeah. can't see his surroundings doesn't realize what's happening right um and and, and ultimately maybe doesn't even care like it's more important that he gets the ring than anything else, you know, whether or not he's dies at the end. I don't know, you know, if, if it's, maybe it is a, a, a moment of peace for him. Um, and then, yeah, the, uh, literally there is a, an earthquake, there's towers collapsing, there's mountains falling. Mount, it erupts, right? Mount Doom erupts as well. Mount Doom erupts and the Nazgul are like killed as they're flying. They come flying back and then they like burn up in the sky uh, um as this is all happening like all the nazgul die so mm-hmm. this is the this is the 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 big off switch you know this is this is de- destroying the army here and i i wanted to to take a moment and say that i also thought it was interesting that we don't get sort of a video game style final boss fight here right, right? like there it sauron is not the final boss that is fought in this book in fact mm-hmm. he's never he doesn't ever really take the field you know um, he is much more of the of the general commanding the armies from 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 way in the back, and that's how Sauron operates here. It's part of the reason why I think Sauron's such an imposing, uh, you know, enemy or antagonist because he's he's corporeal, right? He's like he's not it's not tangible. He's not there. Well, he's, he's not incorporeal. Yeah, he's incorporeal. You're right. The fact that he's not tangible, the fact that he's not there, yeah. and and, and um, can't be attacked, can't be killed in that way, and that he's sort of like always going to be there unless you know you can strike him down but he's always going to be there trying to linger around seemingly i did think it was interesting at one point um i think it's gandalf maybe or aragorn one of the two was saying that like even if um he's he's defeated there will there will come it's not he's not all evil it's clear that like even though he is the representation of evil right now um he is not himself all evil in the world within the within the you know if you look at the larger context of the lore of lord of the rings sauron is just one of the you know one of the kind of um world conquering evil beings you know what i mean he's not the incarnation of evil like there are things above him and like he's not the devil or something you know right he's as much as it seems like he could be um he isn't like the manifestation of he's more like hitler (laughs) yeah he's more like hitler he's more like magic hitler so uh, Frodo then recalls Gandalf's words about uh, Gollum playing a role. And he's sort of like the burden is lifted from him, right? And he tells Sam, like, we should forgive Gollum mm-hmm. for what happened because he, if anybody understands how much the ring can twist your mind, it's Frodo. Right. And then we get what I think might be the greatest line in all of the Lord of the Rings um, and possibly making it one of the greatest lines in all of fantasy. Do you know which line I'm talking about? Is it the at the end of all things with the with yeah. the yeah? Quote, I'm glad you're here with me, here at the end of all things, Sam. And I, I can't remember if that gets changed a little bit in the movie or not, but the the essence is still the same. It's it's this moment of friendship, and they think that it's over. They're gonna die, they're on this mountainside, everything's erupting. And it's Frodo re- recognizing the role that I think Sam has played in all of this. And um, yeah, I just think it's a really powerful moment. And also, I think I think like reestablishing himself outside of the ring. 
yeah, I am, I am, I am free of it now. This right. is me, the real Frodo, right? Like the, the your friend that you know right. from before, and I am here to say that, yeah, I'm glad it's you. Uh, to me, it's always been, yeah, it's always been one of my favorite moments, just because it's like, it is at the end of all things. Like to to what what could be more, what could be more sort of satisfying than being with someone that you care that much about at the end of all things? Because ultimately, like it's not about the rings of power. It's not about all these other things. It's about being with somebody like that and knowing that like you, you know, you guys were there for each other. So just amazing stuff. Really good. And it's it's weird. This isn't it feels like it's the end of the book. Um, But like I said, uh, there is more to it. We have we have, I think, like five more chapters, six more chapters. And then we have the appendices. Um, we have, I know the scouring of the Shire is a thing I've heard about that is not in the film that I am excited to read. Um, I know a little bit about what goes on in it, but uh, I've never read it before. So I'm going to be getting into that next week and we'll really put the sort of cap on this. We'll, we'll, we'll get through the denouement as everybody's heading back and, and the story's getting sort of wrapped up. Um, so we hope you join us again next week for that. Yeah, definitely write in and give us any sort of like closing things if you wanted to kind of check in with us. And uh, it'll be a good way for us to wrap out all of the Lord of the Rings, this trilogy here. Um, You know, I think we'll revisit Middle Earth with The Hobbit eventually. But just if you wanted to get any thoughts in, anything we've said, anything you disagree with, agree with, just, um, you know, how the journey struck you. If you've been along with us over these couple of years that we've covered these three books, um, I think it'll be a fun last episode. And it'll be cool to have some of the context of the appendices to pull from as well. Absolutely. We just wanted to thank one of our new patrons, and that's Harry C. Um, He signed up and uh, is going to be one of our new patrons this coming month. So we're we're excited for that. And we are going to be putting out two bonus episodes, like we said, Tolkien, uh, the film, and the animated Return of the King. So if you're interested in that, definitely check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash inktofilm. And uh, think about giving us a couple bucks, and it can really help out, especially in these trying times. Yeah, and thank you to Harry for becoming a, a new patron. If you wanted to connect with us, we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those adding to film. Uh, join our Council of Inklings. It's a great way to stay connected. We post polls for upcoming projects, any sort of adaptation news we see, any you know potential projects. We, we like to stay updated with that kind of stuff, and it's a cool way for us all to interact over there. So check that out. And if you like this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. Helps us get the word out and get more people listening to our show. Thank you to Music Archive for the use of our intro and outro music. And thank you to Annalisa and Caitlin for providing a little voiceover work this week. Yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed our April Fool's intro. Okay, so that wraps up this episode. We will be back next week covering the last third in the appendices of Return of the King. We hope you guys are safe out there. We hope your families are safe. Um... Keep on washing those hands and, and stay in quarantine if, if at all possible. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pulling for you guys. Yeah, stay healthy. Um, my heart goes out to all of the healthcare workers. And, you know, shout out to everybody else who's considered a essential business and, and doing the, the grocery work and the delivery work and all the other very important things that are sort of keeping society together right now. Um, it, you're, you're doing important work and we wish that you got paid and got all of the, you know, uh, healthcare and everything else associated with such a, which was such important work. So, um, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.